Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, church. I'm Pastor Mark, and welcome to Resurrection Sunday. Wow. If you're new here, welcome. I trust that you are connecting with God and some of his precious people here at Life in the Sun. I want to give a special welcome to uh, some old friends of mine that I'm seeing here today for the first time. Uh, Tony So, where is he? Oh, there he is, and his daughter, Michaela. Welcome. (laughs) Visiting from Hawaii, longtime friends from 20, 25 years ago. Also, I'd like to welcome Senator George Bamba uh, sitting over here. There he is. (laughs) And uh, my old friends, Sonny and Josie Perez, sitting back here. Welcome to Life in the Sun. You know, Terry and I did something special this week in preparation for today. Um, Every morning this week, we took time to share communion together. We had a focused time of seeking God and asking Him to search our hearts, to cleanse and to purify, and um, to remind us of everything that Jesus has provided so that we could enter into a closer relationship with God. And it made a significant difference in our responses to the stresses of life. Uh, We're all going through stuff. Uh, Recently, as some of you know, uh, Terry's brother passed away. And so it's been hard recently. But it's so good because of Jesus demonstrating victory, as Van said so well, demonstrating victory over sin and death, and by the Holy Spirit making that victory and that freedom available to us, that we can exchange things like anxiety for peace. Uh, We can exchange confusion for clarity. Uh, We can exchange restlessness for rest. And it's God's desire for all of us to experience his goodness. And it's all connected to Resurrection Sunday. There's more where that came from. Did you know that uh, Resurrection Sunday is the most important holiday, the most important Christian holiday, even more important than Christmas? Uh, You might have a hard time convincing your children on that one, but it's true. Yes, even more important than Christmas. Yeah, do you know why? The answer is coming up. Jesus foretold his resurrection several times. On one occasion, he was talking to the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, and he said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They had no idea what he was talking about. My mom, she's from Montana, that part of the country, um, the culture there, they kind of represent rural America, the Midwest. And if uh, some of those kinds of people had been there when Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up, and if they had understood what he meant, they might have responded by saying something like, well, you ain't bragging if you can do what you say. And so when Jesus came back to life from the dead, he proved everything that he had said. How many of you saw the movie Unplanned? Okay, just a few. Sorry, guys, spoiler alert. (laughs) 
The main character in this movie, she's the director of a clinic for Planned Parenthood, which we all know provides abortions. And she has a traumatic experience, and so she resigns. And she has a complete change of heart about the industry, and she joins the pro-life movement. And Planned Parenthood decides they are going to make an example of her. And they put together some accusations, and they take her to court. By the way, this is a true story. So she hires her lawyer. They meet. Of course, she's nervous. And the lawyer says, I've reviewed the evidence, and they really don't have a case. And she's like, are you sure? She goes, do you realize who we're dealing with? I mean, this is like a multi-million dollar corporation, and I'm just little old me. Are you sure? And he says, ma'am, there are two words in the English language that are very powerful if you put them together. Do you know what they are? He said, those two words are these. Prove it. And when Jesus predicted his death and that on the third day he would rise again and then he came back to life, he proved it. It doesn't get any stronger than that. There is no higher, there is no greater proof. That is the ultimate proof. All of Christianity, the reason the resurrection is the most important holiday is because all of Christianity depends on the resurrection. It validates everything that Jesus said. It's that simple. And that's why the resurrection is the most important holiday. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, not only did Jesus foretell his death, the prophet Isaiah, who lived 700 years before Jesus, also recorded very specific details about the death of Jesus. We've been in this series leading up to today, foretold. The crown of thorns, the wording all illustrate the idea that the life and death of Jesus was foretold in Scripture. And if you could read the words in the background, those are actually portions from the book of Isaiah. This entire series has been taken primarily from the book of Isaiah. And today we're going to focus on chapter 53. Now, much of chapter 53 in Isaiah spells out specific details about the life and death of Jesus. But for the sake of time, today we're going to look at just four verses, beginning in verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. <clears throat> Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And lastly, verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors, He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Well, what I'd like to do is... Uh, take a point-by-point -point, um, 
journey through this passage and compare each of the prophetic points of Isaiah to their fulfillment in the New Testament. And so let's go back to verse 9. We read earlier, they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Now we all know Matthew wrote a biography about the life of Jesus, and this is what Matthew recorded about his burial. When it was evening, that is, the evening that he was crucified, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Jesus took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. Now this prophecy points to Jesus' death between two criminals and being buried in a rich man's tomb. Another prophetic point in the latter part of verse 9, continuing on, all this happened although he had done no violence and there was no deceit found in his mouth. And so the way that played out in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, we'll read about in John chapter 19, Pilate went outside again and he said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly, I find him not guilty. And so here we have the Old Testament prophecy, Pilate saying, I find him not guilty. There is no violence in him, no deceit on his part. And this is a fulfillment that happened 700 years after Isaiah wrote that. Another prophetic point, verse 10, yet, although there was no violence, no deceit, it says, yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Pilate had a policy that every year he would release one prisoner to the people. And he offered that pardon for Jesus. But here's how it played out at the moment. Mark chapter 15, but at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Barabbas was a notorious criminal. And the chief priest had stirred up the crowd to crucify Jesus. Despite the evil intention of the leaders in that day, God in his sovereignty accomplished his purpose. Another prophetic point also in verse 10, the latter part of verse 10, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. And then we're all familiar with this part of the Gospel of John, that Sunday evening, the Sunday that he rose from the dead, Resurrection Sunday, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Suddenly, he's standing there among him. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. And then in verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And then Jesus' famous final words, Luke 23, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they are doing. I took the time to compare each one of the prophetic points in Isaiah chapter 3 with their fulfillment in the New Testament to help you see with crystal clarity that God's plan all along was foretold. It wasn't an afterthought. It's not a coincidence. It's foretold. And that's an amazing phenomenon. If you consider the number of details foretold about the Messiah and calculate the odds of anybody being able to fulfill those prophecies, the number is astronomical. Actuarial science is the discipline of combining mathematics, probability, and statistics in order to calculate the risk for insurance companies. It's actually a thing. It's a career field. They call them actuarials. And if you calculate the probability of Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies about, about the Messiah, the number is astronomical. I mean, it, the number is so big, I don't even know what you call it. We'll just call it humongous. That's what it is. So here it is. According to actuarial science, the probability of one person fulfilling eight prophecies is one in a hundred quadrillion. Quadrillion. That's the unit of measure that comes after trillion. Million, billion, trillion, and then quadrillion. And it's not just one in one quadrillion. It's one in a hundred quadrillion. And if you expand that beyond eight prophecies, and we go to eight prophecies, the chances of one person being able to fulfill 48 prophecies in the Old Testament is one chance in 10 to the 157th power. That's the number one, followed by 157 zeros. That's why I said we don't even know what we call that number. We'll just call it humongous. So here's why it's so improbable to match just eight details in a person's life. Have you ever Googled your name? Okay, a couple people have. Ever tried doing a search for somebody on Facebook? If I type in my name on Facebook, I get 30 people who have the name Mark Beneventi. 30. That's just on Facebook. But if I add only one factor, and that one factor is this, I'm looking for somebody who not only has my name, but they also live on Guam. And once I add in that one factor, that pool of 30 people drops down to three. There's only three of us. And if I add just one more factor, and that is not only am I looking for somebody who has my name, lives on Guam, but they were also born in Fort Ord, California, all of a sudden, there is only one. Only one. Now, what do you think the chances are of somebody being able to match those details if I add one more factor? And that factor is the lineage of my father. Because that's one of the prophecies about the Messiah, that he would come from the tribe of Judah. And that would be the lineage of Joseph, his legal father. What are the chances of somebody having my name, living on Guam, born in Fort Ord, California, and they have the same lineage as my father? I mean, at that point, and that's only four factors. At that point, you begin to see why it's impossible. And then to make matters worse, let's add many details that happened in my life between my, my 30th birthday and my 33rd birthday. Because that's where we know the most about Jesus. And that's where many of the prophecies were fulfilled. What are the chances of somebody being able to fulfill all those details? The point is this. 
There's absolutely no way that could have happened except by divine design. God's plan for you to be restored is not an afterthought. It is planned. It was foretold. And it was brought about by a greater love than you and I can imagine. His plans for you are from before you were born. They are foretold. And they are orchestrated by a love that we cannot imagine. This passage, there are three promises for us. Number one, we are declared righteous. Going back to verse 11, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. When Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, he substituted his identity for yours. He became sin for you. And when you put your faith in him, you are given, as a free gift, you are given his righteousness. The sinful nature is no longer your identity. Your new identity, if you have God in your life, if you by faith have received him into your life, your new identity is his identity. You are what the Bible calls considered in Christ. In Christ is like being in a jet plane. You're seated on the plane. You're traveling at 500 miles an hour, screaming through the Earth's atmosphere at 30,000 feet, but you're just sitting there. All this is happening because Jesus, the pilot, bought you a ticket on the plane. He bought you a seat on the plane. And your ticket costs more than we can imagine. And because your ticket is so expensive, you are seated in executive class. And you were given a status called holy and royal. You know what the challenge is for us? God is amazing. He's supernatural. He's miraculous. He could do something like that. The challenge for us is to renew our mind so that we could catch up with what God has done. To renew our mind so that we could line up with God and what he has done. That's the first promise. Number two, when we live for Jesus and by Jesus, we can overcome a lifestyle of sin. Verse 11 said, by his knowledge, by the way, his knowledge is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth will set you free. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Not only have we been declared righteous, we have been given the ability to overcome a lifestyle of sin. You know, we used to be slaves to sin. It was the only influencing factor in our lives. But once you add the Holy Spirit, once you receive the Holy Spirit, now you have a choice. You know, sin dominated and controlled. But the difficult thing in living the Christian life is the Holy Spirit doesn't dominate and control. He waits until you want him. He waits until you want a different life. And then he's available to give you the ability to direct you and empower you to be able to break old habits and patterns, old ways of thinking. We used to be slaves, but now we can be free as we trust Jesus to live in us and through us. Number three, when we live for Jesus and by Jesus, we have an inheritance in Christ. 
Verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Now that we are in Christ, we are co-heirs with Christ. You have an inheritance from God, which he shares with those who put their faith in him. Our inheritance, is in, our inheritance in Christ is greater than anything that the world has to offer. In summary, know this. The probability of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies reveals a divine design. God all along had a plan. He has a plan for you. You are planned by God. If you have received Christ, um, he has restored and he is restoring you. It is present tense and it is an ongoing process at the same time. And in this relationship, there are three promises to focus on for today. Number one, you are declared righteous. We can overcome a lifestyle of sin and we have an inheritance in Christ. God has provided everything that you need and all of this is possible because he is the righteous victor. As we come to a close, I want you to think about how do you receive your inheritance? How do you do that? It's all about the exchanged life. Communion is symbolic of the exchanged life. It's our sin for his righteousness. The exchanged life is like breathing. When you exhale, you exhale carbon dioxide, which is poisonous to the body. And you inhale oxygen, which every cell in your body needs for life. In the same way, breathing spiritually, we exhale or we confess sin, which is poisonous. But we inhale the Holy Spirit by wanting Him and trusting Him. You know what happens if you stop breathing? A lot of people say you die, but there's a step before that. You pass out. I once saw a running t-shirt. It said, running won't kill you. You'll pass out first. If you stop breathing, you pass out. You go unconscious. If you stop breathing spiritually, you enter into spiritual slumber. You become unaware of the presence of God. You become unaware of the voice of God. Paul said, in the context of communion, Paul said, some of us are sick and have fallen asleep because we partake of the body and the blood in an unworthy manner. And so we want to make sure we don't do that. We want to make sure that we are circumspect, that we are sober-minded and humble. And so I want to invite us to take some time just to do business with God in the privacy of your heart and mind. As you receive the elements, just to take some time to tune into God and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? And I know sometimes that can be something that creates a little anxiety. Or possibly, well, we'll just stop there. God doesn't want us to, to be afraid of his presence, to be afraid of his judgment. He's not calling sin out for the purpose of guilt and shame. He's, he's wanting us to enter into forgiveness and grace. And
and healing. That's his heart of love. That's why he came. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so as you receive the elements, if you would take some time as the music plays, I want to invite you just to maybe even close your eyes and tune into God, connect in your heart with him, and just say, Lord, what is it that you're saying to me today? What is it that I need to apply in terms of exchanging my life for yours? Lord, what are the things that I need to exchange? Just ask the Lord to show you what that is. Let's take our time. We have time this morning just to continue to be in his presence. Allow him to work in our hearts and minds. God is here. God is at work. We're not in a hurry. minutes we'll share in communion together but if you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed uh, before we share communion I'd like to address uh, possibly a handful of people that may be here today as you're hearing me talk about a relationship with God that's been something that God has been putting on your heart recently that's he's gotten your attention in fact you sense that God is somehow at work in your heart in your life today you came here because because of that not just because it's Easter Sunday but you're genuinely searching and if that describes you and you would like to respond to God and say yes God I would like to experience you and you've never made that decision before if you've not made a, a conscious choice a formal decision then I want to invite you to go ahead and make that choice today and then simply express that to God, which is what we call prayer. And I'll help you with that. I'll, I'll pray with you. I'll just pray out loud, and you can follow along in your heart. God will hear you. All right, let's pray. Father God, I'm here in your presence. I know that you've been getting my attention. And I'm responding today by saying, yes, I'm opening up to you. 
I open my life to you, and I ask that you would reveal yourself to me. I invite you to come into my life by your spirit. I invite your spirit of love and forgiveness into my life. And if you're praying this prayer right now, I want you to take a moment by faith, trusting God to actually come into your life, to be one with you. And just receive him, receive his love, receive his forgiveness. He's been waiting for this moment. And this is just the beginning of an amazing journey. This is the best decision you can ever make. And so let him come in and be one with you. Father in heaven, I thank you for coming into my life. And I ask you to forgive me for the things I've done that have been hurtful to me, to others, and most of all, my relationship with you. And I receive your forgiveness today. If you're praying this prayer, just receive his forgiveness. Let him wash and cleanse any guilt, any shame. His love is for you. This moment is for you. Father, yes, I receive your spirit of love and grace and forgiveness. And I ask that you would transform me, renew me, make me the kind of person you want me to be. And I ask all this in Jesus' name.